Well, good evening, everyone. It is indeed a bright and lovely Sunday evening. Um, Corinthians. I've been reading and rereading uh, this chapter and introductions to Corinthians to try and get into my head the rather complicated story that it is in, his, in their relationship with Paul. Paul started up the uh, church in Corinth uh, around about AD 50. And uh, I don't know if you saw a program on the telly last week. They're doing a program on the history of Islam. And uh, they said that there's, there's nothing written down um, before, after uh, 200 years after uh, Muhammad died. It's kind of a long time. And, and they're trying to piece together why some of the traditions of Islam are there, because there's no kind of currency to anything that was written about it. And I thought, gosh, you, know, you think of the church in Corinth being founded in AD 50. That's rather like uh, Jesus being born in 1960 and uh, dying in the 90s and the Corinthian church starting up about now. It's all very kind of quick and it's definitely following on uh, from Jesus' life, life, death and resurrection. It's, uh, it's a very immediate response. The words that we're seeing are about real people, real life and real problems. And uh, the Corinthian church was certainly a church which had its problems. Something somebody said to me yesterday while I was loitering around in the tent was, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just go back to New Testament days when everything was great? And uh, I should have given him two Corinthians to read <laughs> to show him maybe it ain't so good. Um, but he had, a, he had a tough old time with them, did Paul. He, he liked to see himself as being the father of the church. Uh, so he started it up. Uh, and then he was hearing they were having all sorts of problems with immorality in the church. They were worshipping other gods, mixing up Christianity with existing religions. Um, so he wrote to them a letter to try and sort them out. They weren't very keen on being told off by Paul as they took it. Uh, so he was going to go and see them and talk to them about it. Uh, then decided not to because the reaction was still very harsh. The relationship was just very difficult. Corinth was kind of like Greece's second city. So I suppose it's a bit like... Uh, uh, perhaps Edinburgh and Glasgow or London and Birmingham. Um, Athens was the, the seat of learning and uh, Corinth was the place for commerce. And it, used, it sits kind of in a narrow strip down towards the Peloponnese Islands in, in Greece where people would come in their ships, unload, truck it across the short piece of uh, land and then get back on the ship again and carry on. So it was a real kind of commercial centre, lots of ideas, lots of different nationalities coming in. And a lot of the people that lived there were slaves who kind of bought themselves out of slavery. So you had a kind of very upwardly mobile um, environment there, uh, kind of self-made people, self-reliant people, uh, hearing lots of new ideas, and they kind of liked the new fashions. And they were very into hearing uh, Greek phil philosophical speakers or Jewish speakers, people who had a good reputation as a speaker and who could command a great fee for it. And they used to slag Paul off because they thought he wasn't really up to much as a great speaker. Uh, they thought his appearance wasn't that good. They thought he was kind of disorganized. They gave him a pretty tough time. But Paul loved them. And he loved them because he had started that church under the authority of God. And he knew that it was part of his mission to pastor those people. So despite the insults, despite the kind of um, complaints uh, and, uh, and the, thing, the lies that they told about him as well, he still loved them, even though it hurt him very deeply whenever he heard of this thing. But he didn't give up on the Corinthians. 
So I'd like to just kind of go through a few thoughts that, that come to mind from um, one, uh, 2 Corinthians 1 and the passage that, uh, that Steve read to us. And the first thing is, bearing in mind that uh, there were four letters to the Corinthians, two of them were lost, so this is kind of an ongoing conversation in a very difficult relationship. And uh, Paul kicks off by announcing himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In other words, Paul knew that he was under the authority of God. That's what gave him the confidence to stand before them, to write to them, to instruct them, and to love them, because he knew that it was under God that he was doing it. It wasn't like they were his pet church. It wasn't like they loved him. They didn't. But under God, he'd been given this mission to serve these people. And that he's accountable to God, not accountable to that church. So he wasn't sent there to tell them things they wanted to hear. He wasn't sent there to be a, uh, a super evangelist or a super apostle. He was there just to give them the word of God and to pray for them and to encourage them to live it. The second thing uh, in that introduction is it's to the church of God in Corinth together with all the saints. So it's to the church of God in Corinth. It's not their church, it's God's church. It's not his church, it's God's church. He might have started it, but he knows it's not his. He doesn't see it as a possession. It's God's church that he leads under God's authority. And that they're part of a wider community. And one of the disciplines, if you like, I suppose, of being church is that we aren't one little group that thinks we've got all the great ideas uh, and let's keep it just nice and cozy because it really works and it really blesses me. But actually, we're part of this wider fellowship under God and under the authority of God and under the authority of those that God has put into, into leadership. And in those first three verses, you'll see God says, uh, sorry, Paul refers to God three times as Father. And again, to me, it's kind of setting that context of, of God, is, God is your father, not me. God is the one who has authority over you as the church, not me. But he does it as father. Yeah? Not someone who is harsh, not someone who looks down, but someone who, who wants to support, wants to nurture, wants to love, and wants to be in relationship. And I know sometimes father can be a difficult uh, connotation uh, for us to place alongside God, depending on our experience of fatherhood or maybe even our experience of being a father. I mean, we realize we're not that great at it. Uh, so the idea of God as father can sometimes be difficult. But I believe that's, that's, it's terribly important because God wants us to know him in that way. When I've been in training, the, the, where I was doing my training, um, we had all sorts of different theological perspectives coming in, which can be a good thing, it can also be difficult. But uh, some people were saying there that, oh, well, I, it, I find it really helpful to think of God as mother uh, and all this sort of stuff, which is uh, it, it, kind of beginning to fashion God in the way that we would like him to be. But actually, I believe God wants us to call him Father because he wants us to think of him and know him as our Father imperfection and whatever our experience has been 
of being fathered, then that is nothing to the love and perfection and adoration that God has for his children. And if you imagine being a perfect father, those things that you wish you'd done, that you wish you'd said, or you wish that your father had been to you, then that, even that is a pale reflection of how God wants to be our father. So if you like, Paul sets this setting, sets this context of, of loving Father God, of, of adoring his children, of wanting to support and nurture these difficult people. And as he does in this first element of 2 Corinthians, he brings up probably one of the most challenging areas that we have to think of as Christians, and that's the, the problem of suffering, the problem of affliction because it always puzzles us and it can drag us down and we can feel inadequate sometimes in how we talk to people and get alongside people when they are suffering because it's so hard to explain why God is allowing this thing to happen. And we do naturally, don't we? We begin to ask those questions that become unanswerable in a way. Why now? Why me? What have I done? Why does God allow this? Why does God allow this to happen when he's a loving God? But Paul speaks not from the angle of a theorist. He speaks from someone of experience, someone who has suffered. And in fact, probably he really started to understand suffering after he became a Christian. He was very much upwardly mobile before he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was well-educated. He would have got into the, uh, uh, what's that special tent at the Morton Show where you got away? He would, have been, he would have been straight in there, Paul. He wouldn't have even needed the Tweedy jacket. You know, they, they'd have just, he'd have just got, he was totally well-qualified. But then he gave his life to Jesus and everything changed. And all that stuff, all those qualifications that had garnered him praise and the best seat at the front of the house now meant nothing. Now they were rubbish in the light of the love of God and the fatherhood of God and the mission of God that he'd come to share. But what he got with it was a pretty strong acquaintance with suffering, being shipwrecked, being beaten, being imprisoned, being lied about, being misunderstood, being told he was a rubbish speaker. <laughs> uh, maybe that was worst of all, I don't know. But he, he was humbled in his experience of following Jesus and had to understand, actually, some of the suffering that Jesus himself did. And in the passage it says, doesn't it, that just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives in verse 5, also through Christ our comfort overflows. And it's kind of saying that as we, as we follow Christ, as we decide to give our lives to Jesus and become his, then we are going to experience something of the suffering of Christ. That is part of the deal. We are going to know that. We don't know in what way, but it will happen. But just as we do, we also can know the comfort of him, which, which flows. It's not, it's not like we're, we're in a well, uh, we're isolated, 
but it flows over his people. It flows over the body of Christ. And again, this sense of being not isolated, but part of a community is part of this lesson that Paul is teaching the Corinthians right at the start here about the nature of suffering and the nature of God's comfort towards us. So what does comfort mean? I mean, it talks about comfort a lot. I was thinking about that. I thought I'd put some clever slides up, but then we got around to it in the end. I thought softness is the thing called comfort. Do you remember that one? Uh, that was a, an advert. Uh, and I got a picture of a big fluffy bed that talked of comfort. Um, and there was a picture of somebody with their arm around another one. I thought, well, that's getting close to kind of my understanding of comfort. But I suppose we think of perhaps we associate it with being comfortable. The promise is not that as Christians we will be comfortable. <laughs> so sorry about that one. Uh, we're promised comfort, but not to be comfortable, just in case there's a misunderstanding there. Um, but the comfort of God is actually about strengthening. It's not a, a pat on the head and a sympathetic nod, but it's actually a comforting. It's a, it's a strengthening. It's an entering into. And it's something, actually, that we share and participate in. Paul, when he talks about uh, this terrible thing that happened to him, when he describes it in verse 8, he says, We don't want you to be uninformed about the hardships we suffered in Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. We've probably known times where we have despaired, perhaps even of life despaired that we would come out of the situation, despaired that God heard our prayer. But Paul knew what it was like to come to the place of despairing in his suffering. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, our hearts in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. It was kind of all over. It was that desperate. There's nothing more. We've reached the end. But this happened. But this happened. So this is why. So Paul learnt a lesson. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. God who raises the dead. It seems like a harsh lesson, and Paul went through a harsh lesson, but he saw why. He had to reach that point of despair before he realized that actually I have to place everything in his hands. There is an end to me, and maybe I have to sometime reach the end of me before I place myself fully in his hand. So, why sometimes the answer, it's not always the answer, we don't know all the answers, but sometimes the answer to that why is God letting this situation exist, is that we have to reach that point. We have to reach that point when we know, not just think, not just heard it in a sermon, not theoretically, yeah, I accept that, but actually know that I can't rely on me that I can't bring an end to this despair, but actually God 
and his grace is sufficient for me. And when I've placed myself, my future, my everything into his hands, there is no safer place to be. That's a pretty profound lesson. I'm not sure I've learned that. I'm not sure I could really say that that's where I am yet. But God took Paul to that place to show him, to bring him out, so that he could say to these Corinthians that his grace is sufficient for you, no matter what, no matter what your affliction, no matter what your suffering, that God is sufficient for you. He knows it, he hears it, and he wants to strengthen you in it. Why? So that you can bring comfort to others. We live in a broken world. We live in a cracked universe. Sin came in and spoilt it. And this world is very clearly imperfect. And we live surrounded by a lot of suffering. The death rates from alcoholism have doubled in the the last 10 years. As people have responded to their suffering by trying to escape. And whether it's in alcohol, whether it's in watching the telly, the average time people spend now watching telly is 28 hours, that's nearly a full week in working week, week in work, working week. That's a lot of time to try and find a way to escape. But when the telly's turned off, you're back in the now. And if we're to reach that world outside that has placed itself outside of God's love, then we need to be able to bring the comfort of God. We need to share the comfort that he has given us to truly get alongside. So there's something about knowing the suffering of Jesus. There's something about discovering the reality of his love and sufficiency but there's also something about knowing the experience of the world outside and the need of that world and having compassion for that world because there's no point in having an evangelism program because we want to have more people in the church or we want to look more successful um, or for any kind of reason other than God loves them, they need him and we know where he is. And so to not take his love to a godless world would probably be the biggest sin that we could commit. Some of that you may find in your own experience, I don't know, because I haven't had a huge amount of suffering in my life, I have to say. So I'm not really qualified. So if you're thinking, yeah, it's all right for him to say, fair enough, that's probably true. All I'm saying is I'm sharing something of what Paul's experience was of knowing suffering and what his reaction to that was. But Paul also says, and amidst the idea that we can't always answer the question why, that not only is God our comforter, but he is our deliverer. And Paul could speak with the experience of being delivered But he doesn't promise that everyone's going to be delivered out of their suffering in the course of their life. Which is why he says, if I can find it. um, But this happened, again in verse 9, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. 
In other words, that deliverance may happen now, it may happen in glory, but it will happen. It is a promise that we can live by and depend upon. And if we don't see the purpose of our suffering today, we'll see it when we're in heaven. Because God will deliver us. And we'll know the why. And we'll be able to give glory for God because we'll have seen the impact of what he's done through us in our understanding of the suffering of others and our true ability to get alongside others in our true ability not just to sit there and sympathize but to give them the comfort that we have to share the experience that we have and to show them the love that we have the love of God and isn't it in a way suffering that draws us together as a community time and time again you hear about Terrible things that have happened that are inexplicable. You can't really see why. Why would that happen? You know, a flood, uh, an earthquake. I don't know what floods in 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 Morton. Floods in Bolton. I remember they drew the community together. There is something about it that means we invest in each other's pain, and we draw alongside each other, and in some way we see the glimpse, a glimpse of the love of God. Um, and it's for us. It's for our mission to. Not just give people a glimpse of the love of God, but cover them. Let them see that it is a that God's comfort is something which flows. It's not something that's talked about in theory. It's not something to do with, I don't know, theology. It's to do with me and you uh, sitting alongside each other and caring for each other under the love of God. But that deliverance that will happen in Revelation, John says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. No more crying, no more suffering, no more pain, no more unresolved whys. Just us and Father God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. There will be an end to suffering for the old order of things has passed away. And so our hope is in our God, the deliverer, who will comfort us as we need it. He does know because he's felt it, because Jesus knew the suffering of isolation, rejection, pain and death he's been there he knows it he's felt it he knows our pain but he will make things right either in this life or in the resurrected life when we will have new bodies when there will be a new heaven and a new earth that cannot be spoilt that cannot be cracked that will last forever and what we've gone through here will seem like a blink of an eye. Let's pray for a moment. Oh, Father, Lord, it's, you have heard our prayers sometimes when we have been in that place of despair. And Lord, thank you that even though we doubted you, you were always there and you are always there. Lord, we ask for your comfort. Lord, we ask for your comfort, those that we know that are suffering now. 
in mind or body, Lord, in, in need of some way. Lord, and, and for those of us in this congregation who are going through that suffering too. Lord, let us know your river of comfort. Let us share your river of comfort with those around us. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who delivers us from all things. Lord, we bless your name. Amen.